From WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Zenobia Chris. And I'm Ethan Sands. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. This week on The Outlet, hear about how a local measure is attempting to create state change. We need to do it now, like right now, as opposed to tomorrow, So, because tomorrow never comes. Plus, listen to a conversation about inclusivity within a religious group in Athens. Those stories and more coming up right here on The Outlet. Speak Up is organizing a series of monthly poetry workshops to help students share their trauma and find support. Healing Words Poetry Workshop was organized last weekend to help people struggling from distresses. WUB's Aditya Sasravute talked with attendees to see how this process works. Chocolates and wrappers were used as props by Poet Seymour to allow participants give words to their wrapped feelings. This expression was an opportunity for students and participants to relate their artistic selves with their real-world traumas and distresses. Poet Seymour had this to say about what art is to her. Art releases us. That's why people love art. They go and see art and they have a reaction to it and it creates something within them. And poetry is the same way. It's an art. This poetry workshop challenged individuals to comment on the shape, size, smell, taste, and contour of the wrapped chocolates while relating the expressions to their thoughts. Speaker President Claudia Cisneros mentioned what makes events like these special. To us, is a way of helping um, students to cope with their trauma um, events in their lives and um, learn a powerful tool to use it in a healing process. Michael Beamish, a PhD candidate in education, said how he felt after the event. I would have never thought, like, just smelling the chocolate would have gone back 20, 30 years. Following the chocolate unwrapping activity, participants wrote and recited poems in an attempt to heal their traumas by letting their unwrapped feelings loose. When you looked at it, it had a thin line around the middle. I said, line around the middle, like it was fused together, two halves now whole. Yeah, WUB News happens. I am Aditya Sahasrava. Hillel is discussing issues of inclusivity raised recently by hosting Rabbi Sandra Lawson in a workshop about the topic in Jewish spaces. Our reporter Beth Greenman sat down with student member of Hillel, who is a queer Jew of color, to discuss how the event went. I am here with Hadas Galili. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Um, So uh, we're here to discuss uh, issues of inclusivity within Jewish spaces and Jewish and the larger Jewish community. Um, so we're going to be talking a bit about you, um, your experiences, and then getting into events we've had this past week regarding inclusivity, um, and then into the larger issue um, as a whole within the Jewish community. Uh, so just like to start off with a bit about your experiences. Um, so how would you describe your experiences um, in Jewish spaces as um, a multi, 
as a person with multifacets of identity? Um, I think for myself, uh, being in a Jewish space, especially like when I was in middle school and high school when, you know, all the identities were coming out to play, uh, that was really important for me because I think, um, especially because I was in an already semi-progressive Jewish space, it allowed me to not only express who I was, but also explore who I was. And I think that was something very important. Um, I think that we give a lot of credit to spaces that allow people to express their identity, but we don't give a lot of credit to spaces where people can like genuinely try their best to identify with something. And then if that doesn't work, then they move on to another label. And um, I think the fluidity of identity is something that needs to be more stressed upon in those inclusive spaces. For sure. I mean, it's, it's, I know personally, um, when I was coming to terms just with, you know, with my sexual orientation, I went through, I think like five different labels. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I just had to find what worked for me. Um, And I think that's something major in the conversation that sometimes gets lost. And so I was wondering if you're comfortable sharing, if you've ever had a time in a space, Jewish or not, where you have not felt as embraced, you know? I, I I think that oftentimes in Jewish spaces, we like to have the idea that like we should be fruitful and multiply um which like obviously like if you're a person dating someone of the same sex like that's a little complicated uh you can't have kids the way that people want you to have kids necessarily of course like there's things like in vitro fertilization and adoption um but people don't generally like accept those as like or at least think of those as like ways that you can fulfill that Jewish commandment and so I think in essentially every Jewish space I've ever been in that idea that like we need to be fruitful and multiply we need to be part of the this generation who builds the next generation meaning that we need to have a million kids um I think generally that conversation which happens in almost every Jewish space I've ever been in um tends to be heteronormative and um I think that's just, it's a facet of Judaism that we need to reckon with and see, like, is this really something we need to keep stressing the same way? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know I personally, at this point in my life, it may change, but right now I'm not planning on having kids. And I have felt like a certain level of guilt for that in my life because it's this feeling of, well, if I'm not carrying on, you know, the faith, if I'm not passing on the traditions it's gonna die out and it's this like huge sense of responsibility for something that should be just a very personal decision so I could not agree more Mm -hmm. on that Mm -hmm. um so talking so we've talked a bit about your experiences um and now you know let's shift into a recent visit we had with um Rabbi Sandra Lawson um who's absolutely wonderful um a black queer Jew by choice rabbi um And she had a workshop with us last night about how to make Jewish spaces more inclusive using, you know, textual references from the Torah, the Tanaka. And um, I was just wondering, you know, what sort of impact that had on you? So um, when she was was leading this discussion, 
I kept thinking about the times in my life when I've been in a Jewish community that I'm very used to being in, like in my Jewish youth group that I was in in high school or in my own synagogue back home or even in Hillel, like where there has been somebody come in who like doesn't look Jewish, which I'm saying with air quotes. You can't see air quotes. Whoops. <laughs> um, or who doesn't like necessarily? Who doesn't necessarily um, seem like they? I don't want to say they don't know what they're doing, but like it looks like it. It looks like they're not used to being in that kind of community. Um, and for me, like when I see someone like that in my Jewish spaces that I've always known and always felt comfortable in, like it feels. And, like, I'm I'm wrong in feeling this, and I'm wrong in saying this, but it feels threatening. It feels like there's someone who is a stranger, you know, coming to my place, coming to where I pray, coming to where I feel safe. You know what I'm saying? Um, And I realize that I've been holding on to this judgment. And obviously, like, I haven't overtly said anything because it's rude. But, like, it's, it's also bad to think it. You know, and it's important to understand um, the concept that, of course, like we were once strangers in a strange land. And um, so we need to be welcoming to a stranger, which is something that Rabbi Sandra stressed a lot um, and something that I also think about a lot, but not necessarily in that context. But there is a flip side, of course. Like when I was in my synagogue back home over winter break, there was someone who came in and nobody recognized him. Um, and I don't like he also didn't look like everyone else looked. Um, and, you know, that felt threatening, I think, for a different reason, because um, I think that in light of every recent attack there has been on Jews in synagogues or in other Jewish spaces like kosher supermarkets and whatnot, I think that, like, this could be something that we have programmed enough ourselves to survive um because i for one do not want to get shot in my own synagogue um you know but also like i we need to let go of that kind of thinking because obviously not everyone who walks in is going to shoot us or machete us but also because we we can't afford to be exclusive um, we, as a Jewish people, are dying out, and that is the truth. Um, we make up less than 1% of the American population, if that, and quite honestly, people leave Judaism because they feel excluded, and they, people leave religions all the time because they feel excluded, but it's more personal when it's your own religion, and, um, you see that your friends don't want to participate in XYZ because they're worried about um being judged for their identities and I think so I think like there's a lot of things that go into wanting to create an inclusive space but being worried about a whole lot of things but I think ultimately like it's something that needs to happen and no matter how inclusive of a Jewish space you think you are leading or you are a part of it can always do more for sure I agree I mean I think it's always difficult because, you know, Jews get made fun of for, like, the neurosis and, oh, you're just mm-hmm. so paranoid. But at the same time, it's like, well, it's kept us alive this long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never want to make anyone who is 
you know, new to a community or potentially interested in joining Judaism feel unwelcome mm-hmm. at the same time. So it's it's like a delicate line to be walking. Um, like Carol last night, a community member said that she went to the um, synagogue in Rome and visited and then she had to be frisked because nobody recognized her. Mm. Um, and it's just this and of course there's this added element if you are a Jew of color where people are more suspicious of you because of racism you know and biases that were brought up with about how Jews look um and it's just it's it's difficult to you know first of all unlearn those biases and then second of all to you know get past the the fear of outsiders especially when we're taught to embrace the stranger but the stranger could be a threat and how do we balance that so I think it's tricky mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 so sad that it needs to be tricky I would love to live in a world where like anyone can walk into my synagogue or my Hillel or whatever and like just be there and that would be fine but people walk into synagogues especially recently and everything's not fine because they want to kill them we want to kill the people in those spaces. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough reality. Um, I was also wondering if there was anything specifically from our workshop last night that um, you're planning on, you know, like using in your own uh, Jewish spaces? Um, so last night, one of the last things we did with Rabbi Sandra was there was like a list of... Um, essentially, like, rules for, like, conducting yourself in a Jewish space when you see someone you don't know. And one of the rules, a lot of the rules basically were, like, don't ask about this, don't ask about this, don't ask about this, especially don't ask about this. Um, And I think that's really, I think that's really powerful because, you know, of course, like, you want to ask questions to everyone. But, like, that's not appropriate. Like, People deserve to exist in Jewish spaces without being questioned the same way as I get to exist in a Jewish space without being questioned because I look a certain way or I act a certain way or my name is the way it is. Um, And, like, it's not my job to question somebody who has, like, a non-Jewish sounding name or doesn't look Jewish or whatever um, because, like, it's none of my business. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's something that many Jews have fallen into because of the way we're raised, you know? Um, All right, so, and then shifting away from just, you know, Rabbi Sandra, um, more into the larger issues of inclusivity um, within the Jewish community, um, you brought up, you know, issues of safety. I was wondering if you had um, any further thoughts on how to, like, provide protection while maintaining, like, a welcoming space. I know like a major issue in the community right now is having police presences at synagogues and how that makes black Jews feel more unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, how do we balance the need for protection with that? I was just wondering if you had anything to speak on, you know, with that. So, um, in light of when, okay, so Basically, immediately after um, the Pittsburgh shooting, um, I'm from Cleveland. I don't know if we said that yet. I'm from Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland has a pretty solid Jewish community. Baruch Hashem. God bless. Um, 
And because of that, we have lots of synagogues. Um, and we have a JCC, which is beautiful and large and has a kosher subway. And after the shooting, um, the Cleveland Jewish community had kind of a freak out because Squirrel Hill, which is where the Tree of Life Synagogue was located in Pittsburgh, it's the neighborhood, um, is pretty similar to um, the neighborhoods and like the suburbs in Cleveland where the mostly the Jewish population lives in. Um, it's not unlikely that something like that could happen to us, which is something we kept reminding ourselves. Um, because the truth is that, like, it was probably never unlikely. But um, I think seeing it happen so close to home, like literally two and a half hours away, um, changed a lot of our lives and a lot of our feelings about it. And so my synagogue in particular, we got a bunch of new um, security cameras, like a bunch of new ones, and then we got more police. And um, I feel like other things happened, but I'm not sure. Um, and a bunch of synagogues around us also did the same, and the Jewish day schools around us also did the same thing. And it didn't, it didn't make me feel safe. Um, it didn't make me, well, I felt safe, but I always felt safe. Um, it didn't make me feel safer is the issue. Um, and I, you can't really tell, I'm pretty light-skinned, but I'm a Jew of color, and, um... Having police in the area um, doesn't make me feel good. Um, and I can't imagine what it would be like for a black Jew because obviously there's there's a lot more weight there. Um, and I don't know, I don't truly know if anything is going to make us that much safer. I think the only thing that we can do is like fight anti-Semitism at its core. I don't think police in our synagogues is going to help us with that. Um, I think police in our synagogues can make a lot of people feel safe. And yes, in, God forbid, the case of an, another synagogue shooting or another um, attack in a synagogue or in another Jewish space happens, I think that police can help um, to stop that or to stop it from happening in the first place. But it will drive away more Jews, um, especially more black Jews and Jews of color. Um, and... I don't think that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. And I don't think that's a sacrifice that any Jewish leader or any Jewish person for that matter should be willing to make. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, I know I've seen in the discourse, like this idea of bringing in police presence and all that and the new security measures is in a way settling mm -hmm. because why are we settling for, you know, a band aid on mm -hmm. like the gaping wound of antisemitism? when For there's sure. so much more structural change that's needed. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, it really yeah. is a band-aid. It really, it's, it's, a, it's a solution for, what is it? It's a temporary solution for a permanent problem. Mm. Um, and I say permanent because this country um, has always had an anti-Semitism problem. It's been less in other decades, um, but it's always been there. And... It's always going to be here if we don't fix it at its core. Could not agree more. Um, and s that's all the questions that I had. And do you have anything that you want to say that I did not specifically ask you about? Um, I have so much I would like to say. Um, 
I think that the I think that the issue of Jewish progression is a big one. <laughs> and I think that it varies um, from person to person, from Jew to Jew. Um, and I am speaking, of course, from a place of, I was raised uh, in a conservative Jewish um, household, going to a conservative Jewish synagogue, going to a conservative Jewish day school up until high school, um, going to a conservative Jewish camp. Now I work at a conservative Jewish camp. It's really a time. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to explain what conservative Judaism is? Oh, um, for anyone who doesn't know, conservative does not mean anything political in this context. Conservative Judaism. There are th- three, four There's branches. a lot. There are a There's lot of so branches many. of Judaism. There's three big ones. Three main ones, uh, which is Orthodox, Conservative, and Reform. And the most basic way to explain it is orthodox is the most traditional reform is the least uh, it's where it's what i was raised in and conservative is sort of like a middle ground mm-hmm. it's more complicated than that but <laughs> if you're looking for a crash course yeah uh, i'd be happy to write a book on it if anyone wants <laughs> um but yeah and so i'm really only talking about my own experience like and which is a very small experience like i'm so young (laughs) I'm like a baby um and I've had I've been blessed with um most of my life being able to just go to the just Jewish spaces um and like just be Jewish in them and I've never had to experience what other people um in my life like also especially on this campus other Jews on this campus have had to experience where they've been the only Jew in their neighborhood or something like that like I've always lived on the street with a lot of Jewish people and Currently, I live on a street with, like, three or four rabbis, which is really fun for me. We're all best friends. Um, And, yeah, like, and I, my father is a member of the clergy in my synagogue. Like, I just have, I happen to have, like, this one worldview because it's the only one I can have, I guess. Um, But, yeah, I think that it's it's something that needs to be talked about. In spaces that aren't as progressive as Hillel um, at Ohio University, um, and I'm sure other Jewish spaces are having this conversation all the time. But also, I know that a bunch of them are not, and so I think it's definitely like something that we should bring up all the time and talk about all the time and be worried about all the well, maybe not. I mean, I'll be worried about it all the time, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but like it's something that we should just stress. Yeah, for sure. And let's hope the conversation continues from here. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. It's been fantastic. The city of Athens is now in a state of climate emergency following a unanimous decision. I learned more about a recent city council initiative that hopes to spark change on a global level by starting small. One by one, residents stood up to express gratitude towards City Council for their initiative. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, nay. Motion passes unanimously. Councilwoman Chris Fall introduced the resolution to declare a climate emergency. She choked up as she described the state of our planet today. We will be able to help each other and, and gang together to be able to push forward things that we need as a community 
and a society. So it's super important that we do that, and, and we need to do it now, like right now, as opposed to tomorrow. So, because tomorrow never comes, right? Right. Ball cited the recent wildfires in Australia and California as reasons the proposal is being brought forward now. The resolution also calls for an emergency mobilization effort to restore a safe climate. We're going forward with doing different things with the, the administration and 50th, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Um, and Athens Beautification Day, which is something that I'm working on more this year, is going to be much bigger um, and broader as in time. We're going to have a month of it and do more projects centered around sustainability and the, the climate emergency. She is calling on Governor Mike DeWine, national and state representatives, and the Athens County Commissioners to help save the planet. Climate change is responsible for an overall increase in the global temperature. It is often confused with weather, which records day-to-day -day temperatures. That being said, the vote came on a day where people were wearing shorts and t-shirts for above-normal high temperatures in the 60s. As the first week of February heats up, those attending the meeting, like 46-year resident Lee Gregg, were even more thankful for the resolution. The fires in Australia, I think, were the most moving thing. Uh, it's so, uh, the danger there between that and warm winters, um, really bringing it home that this is happening and we must take action. Council members say they hope to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and carbon levels with this declaration. For WOUB in Athens, I'm Zenobia Chris. Welcome to the Talkback, a new segment here on the outlet where we talk to reporters and dig deeper into their stories. I'm Beth Greenman, here with reporter and co-host Zenobia Chris. We're here to talk about her story on the recent state of climate emergency in Athens, which you just heard. Thanks for sitting down with me, Zenobia. Yeah, of course. So I wanted to ask, um, you know, some questions specifically about what does this resolution really aim for as a goal, practically? So the specific language within the resolution says that they hope to end citywide greenhouse gas emissions as quickly as possible with a goal of no later than 2030. And it will also immediately initiate an effort to safely draw down carbon from the atmosphere, ensuring a just trans transition for residents and accelerating adaptation. So basically, a 10-year goal is very soon to and they want to bring down carbon emissions within the atmosphere um, and they say things as simple as just energy conservation from an individual standpoint and recycling making sure you're sorting out your recycling composting all helps with energy conservation and it's small things that citizens can do that can help um, have a greater impact. So it's more for more focused on like the small um, individual actions as opposed to you know more institutional changes? Yes I think that the reason for declaring an emergency was more to get specifically in Athens as a city to get um, the different parts of government to all work together 
to come to this goal. Uh, Councilwoman Fall had mentioned that everyone is pretty busy with their own sector, and by declaring an emergency, she would hope that multiple, um, the multiple sectors would come together and work towards this goal, and you would see more um, interaction between the different departments. Hmm. So are there any plans as of now to, I don't know, like start a composting program in Athens, for example, just to, you know, focus less on individual action? Um, they, as of the resolution last night, they had not, um, have, they don't have any specific goals, but they did say that because it's, I want to say the 70th anniversary of Earth Day, I'm pretty sure, they, um, they're making Athens Beautification Day, they're turning it into the whole month, and so for the month of April, Leading up to Earth Day, they'll be having different initiatives each week that will really engage community members in a way that can help them make healthy transformations in their lives. Well, we have that look to look forward to then. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for staying down with me, Zenobia. Yeah, of course. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. The outlet is co-produced each week by Beth Greenman, Michael Wyrick, Ethan Sands, and me, Zenobia Chris. We are edited by Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical producer, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to the outlet on SoundCloud and iTunes, or find us online at woub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at outlet underscore W-O-U-B and on Instagram at W-O-U-B underscore outlet. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Thanks for listening and see you next week.